And in at number 35, but you can guess the next one, it's Frankie Goes to Hollywood with Relax. Hey, I've just taken a look at this cover. I've just looked at the cover. I think it's obscene. This record is absolutely obscene. I'm not going to play this, you know. No, I'm sure I'm not going to play this. Thank you and goodbye. Listening to Track by Track with me, Dan. And me, Will. This is the podcast where we take a great pop music album and break it down track by track. Track by track never stops, even when we reach the top. And on the turntable this week, we have got Welcome to the Pleasure Dome by Frankie Goes to Hollywood. I'm so excited, Will. I'm about to burst. This is such an iconic album. Frankie Goes to Hollywood on Track by Track. We are going a bit further back than we normally do, I think, for today's episode. And good for us, actually. Uh, Good for us. And I think as well, of course, this is all part of our month-long celebration of LGBTQ plus history month. And how could we not talk about this band and this album? Uh, And we've come down to the Track by Track uh, gay sauna this week uh, to record this week's episode. Uh, the wood actually creates a really nice soundproofed area, but also uh, we've just got our towels on. Yes, but we are distanced still, aren't we? There's no touching going on in here. No, uh, I've already had to slap your hand away a few times, Dan. Um, so do be careful. Watch out. Anyway. You better watch out. So Frankie Goes to Hollywood uh, for were formed in Liverpool uh, back in the early 80s. And you've got... Holly Johnson, iconic uh, vocalist and frontman, Paul Rutherford, Peter Gill, uh, Mark O'Toole, who's got a massive uh, musical talent, uh, and Brian Nash. Uh, We are going to be talking about their debut album, Welcome to the Pleasure Dome, which was released in 1984. This was a huge album when it came out um, and really was Frankie Goes to Hollywood in their, in full throw. Uh, and it's a lot to talk about with this album today. There's so much to talk about. I've been doing my homework and my research and my notes and I don't think I've ever written as many notes about an episode. So uh, apologies if you were going to listen to this on a short 15 minute walk. Put me on 1.5 times speed because I've got a lot to say. If only one could do that in real life. <laughs> or mute. <laughs> well, I could do that now, actually, because you're not in the same room. Uh, but then it would kind of hinder the recording of the podcast. I'm incredibly excited to talk about this album. I've been playing Frankie Goes to Hollywood and watching the videos all week. Um, and, you know, everything else that comes with it, the remixes and everything. And I've just, even though I, I love this album... And to be honest with you, I knew this album quite well anyway, because my dad used to play this album to death. And when he used to get ready, when he used to be getting a bath at the weekend, ready to go down to the local pub, the Boat Inn in Hayton, he would just play this album every weekend for years and years and years. So it's kind of been like a little trip down memory lane as well. Not in the bath with my dad, but just, you know, re-enjoying the album. Well, (laughs) 
Anyway, uh, so we've got uh, a great album to go through, further listening as usual, uh, and I'm sure a few funny quips uh, and uh, innuendos along the way. That's all part of your Tuesday track by track. So, Dan, should we get stuck in? Let's get stuck in. And you can probably already hear just a little bit of The World Is My Oyster kicking off the album. This album is, it does feel like something big. It feels like a masterpiece. And I think it's only right that they started it with this. You know, it's, not a, it's not a big song that we're going to go into big detail about, but it's, it's the overture, isn't it, really? Uh, which does include Well and Snatch of Fury. Wasn't that what your dad used to call your mum? <laughs> I could not possibly comment. And then, Will, track two of the album, kicking things off with just something epic. It's the title track. This is Welcome to Pleasure Day. So, Dan, that was Welcome to the Pleasure Dome. Now, we do like the extra long length you often get on albums on track by track. And this stretches it to the extreme. It's 13 minutes 41, this track, Dan. It's just incredible, isn't it? I I think this is the longest song we've ever spoken about. Of course, we've only played a 30-second snippet. So, Lord help who is editing this episode, because to pick 30 seconds from this song, it's going to be so difficult because there's so much in it it's of course at the start there's just minutes and minutes of instrumentalization uh before you get holly's iconic soulful voice coming in there but then there's these kind of groove groove led bass sections you've got tribal like moments there's just so many songs within this song but it's it's such an epic opener It, it is and they do set out their story really well because this sound of this track is the sound of the album. It's just, it is what it is. And it will be, what will be, will be. The, and one of the things that I can't quite get my head around with this one, Will, is that, yes, it is almost 14 minutes long. You could probably even round it up to it's almost quarter of an hour long. But this was also released as a single, which surely is a more controversial edit than Girls Aloud's Untouchable. Uh, I don't know about that, Dan. I think <laughs> I would say it's been, uh, it will have been edited down to a much more uh, manageable seven inches. Mm. And also, uh, there's a Trevor Horn uh, seven inch version of this track, which clocks in at just over four minutes. Which is much more manageable, I think. Uh, four minutes, generally speaking, plenty for me. It's enough time to save the world, apparently. Mm, oh, of course, yeah. Uh, and actually, well, great point. We should have mentioned this right at the start of the episode. Uh, this album, there's one producer on this album. It is Mr. Trevor Horn. Um, and the tracks are written by the band members, unless otherwise stated later on. Nice disclaimer. Uh, but I don't know about you, Dan, but when I listen to this track, and I'm not a huge expert on this album uh, until now... Uh, but I could listen to that 13-minute track in its entirety because I just want to savour everything that's going on in that. Definitely. It's 
I would call this album a masterpiece and I would certainly call this song a masterpiece. And it's inspired, you could say it's inspired by a masterpiece. It's inspired, uh, lyrically anyway, by a poem called Kubla Khan or A Vision in a Dream by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. And then there, of course, there are the band's own lines, like we said at the start, shooting stars never stop even when they reach the top. But it kind of, it feels grand. It feels dramatic. And at the same time, it feels like a fantastic 80s pop song. And at the same time, it feels like something very new and different. I just think there's so much to, there's so much to this album, but there's this song in particular, like you said, it just feels, it's, it's, it's amazing. Dan. Yes, lovey. Can I ask you, where did the name Frankie Goes to Hollywood come from? Uh, it was a newspaper headline, which I believe Holly Johnson spotted and thought it would make a, a good name. Now, well, there's a bit of a spoiler alert uh, feel to this next thing I'm going to say. But if you know your Frankie Goes to Hollywood, you'll know this anyway. This, I said it was a single. This was the fourth single from the album. And the first three went in at number one, um, which may, which which is obviously a feat not done by many acts before. It was done by fellow Liverpudlians, uh, Jerry and the Pacemakers, and it was done later by those wonderful Spice Girls. Uh, but this, the fourth single, this peaked at number two, held off oh. by Phil Collins and Philip Bailey's Easy Lover. Which, Easy Lover, wasn't that spray-painted on your locker at college? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> so sorry. Um, uh, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so confident were the band that it would be uh, another number one that it was advertised before it was released or during its week of release, it was advertised as their fourth number one. That's a bit cocky, isn't it? I think we've done worse. Well, I think we've uh, announced ourselves as a worldwide number one podcast, which we are actually. We are. It's uh, we are the best. We are the greatest. We are podcasts. <laughs> and we adore to podcast. Should we move on? Let's move on. Track number three now, and this is Relax. Relax. So, of course, that was Relax. And, Will, pop quiz for you. What do this, Killing an Arab by The Cure, and Love to Love You Baby by Donna Summer all have in common? Oh, um... Dan, I really don't know. You're going to have to tell me. I'll put you out your misery like an old canine. They were all banned by the BBC. I was going to say that, actually. Oh, lovely. Do you want to do a Honest. take two and you can say that? No, no, no. <laughs> I won't do a take two. You can keep this in, actually, if you like. Oh, um, I might keep all of this in. Keep going and keep all of this in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, obviously, a lot of controversy around this track because of the sexualized nature of the lyrics, which the band, for a long time, were very innocent and denied. Yeah, and I think, you know... I think lyrics across the board, across the genres, lyrics more often than not are open to 
either open to, to interpretation or people just put their own spin on it or their own personalization on it. So I don't know what those lot at the BBC were thinking. But didn't the band later come out and say, yeah, we're bang to rights? Yeah. Yeah. A bit like us denying some of our uh, uh, sort of double entendres. There was a lot. Yeah, this was a lot of controversy at the time. And the video obviously didn't do any any favours for, for the controversy either, considering it, it was actually in a gay nightclub. Absolutely. And also for their debut, this was the debut single and the debut video, of course, as well. Kind of what a way to make their mark. Uh, and you talked about the video, Will. There, for anyone who hasn't seen it, because you might know the song, you might not have seen the video. It's it's a gay bar, like you said. There's lots of S and M. There's a tiger in there, and Holly, Holly Johnson, lead singer, of course, just turns up in his suit and ties, looking like he's just left the office or something like that, while everyone else is in their leather. And it reminded me, Will, of that time when you had those cross wires for a fancy dress party you went to. Well, yes. When it said belt and braces, I thought uh, they meant the kind of full business dress, not literally just wear a belt and some braces. You were overdressed. (laughs) And that was actually my 30th party. As I said, this was the debut single and it was promoted. I think they they just knew they were onto a hit with this one. It was promoted across the music press uh, with the lads looking quite naughty in some nautical-esque clobber with a tag, all the nice boys love seamen. Dan, question for you. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> but I do have a bone to pick with them, Well, Will. Well, who's well? Well, I do have a bone to pick with them, Will. Uh, it also said, Frankie Goes to Hollywood are coming. Duran Duran lick the shit off their shoes. It's a bit insulting, isn't it? Well, I knew, I thought you'd take issue with that, obviously being a big uh, Duran Duran fan yourself. But I have to say, they probably do. (laughs) And the other thing that they said after that was uh, 19 inches that must always be taken. And they were still trying to say there was nothing suggestive about this. (laughs) Now... Just to put this into perspective of how big a hit this was, obviously it was a number one, um, not just um, in the UK, but all over Europe and a lot of worldwide territories as well, at least in the top 10. Uh, And it sold in the UK uh, 2.1 million copies. That's a rather large reach. It's massive. And actually, Will, if you don't mind... Do get yourself comfortable. Listener, get yourself comfortable. Have a quick toilet break now if you want, because I would just like to talk for a minute about the journey that this song went on in the charts. Is that okay if I... Yeah. 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 Are, you re- are you settled? Well, I'm not really going to be listening, so you can say whatever you like. <laughs> so the song was released in October... Uh, in 1983 and it went in at number 67 and then seven weeks later it still only reached number 35 and then actually started dropping after that but then in the following January they went on top of the pops and performed it and then it went up to number six and it was after that that it got banned by the BBC and uh, Mike Reed of course legendary you might call him legendary you might not legendary DJ Mike Reed (laughs) the other one the other Mike Reed (laughs) Um, he was very open about his distaste for it and, and for the sleeve and all that kind of stuff. So he was very vocal about it being banned. And of course, if you ban a record, 
it's probably going to do quite well for the record. So then it went for number one, uh, where it stayed for five weeks. Um, but for those five weeks on top of the pops, because it was banned, they just showed uh, a picture of the band and then they closed the show with someone else who was further down in the chart, which seems like a real insult. But of course, it meant that the song did really well. Um, and then the song started falling down the chart, but it stayed in the top 40 for months and months. But then in July, when Two Tribes was released, Relax went back to number two in the chart. So they had the number one and the number two. That's lovely. Dan... Thank you very much. We're out of time. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I think only for a certain song could I give that much detail on a chart run. Um, But what a a great song. What a great run. But but what an exciting time it must have been for the band and the fans to to see this song every week. Checking, um, well, would it be teletext back then or just listening to the top 40 on a Sunday? Just listening to the top 40. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, also, I'm about to make a broad sweeping statement, so brace yourself. Right. Do you think this is one of the dis- defining sounds, songs of the 80s? Absolutely. But I would say it about the single that followed as well, which we will come on to talk to a little bit later. And I think as well, Will, you know, everyone knows this song and everyone knows this song pretty well because you hear it a lot on TV and the radio and parties and things like that. I think it's when a song is that, kind of in that much in your life you can forget how good a song it actually is and how well it's put together and how just you know the synths in this are fantastic the instruments are fantastic holly sounds fantastic it's clever lyrically and actually even though the band were a five-piece band um it's only holly's vocal and then trevor horn doing everything else pretty much on on the whole of the album what's everyone else doing then they did record it, and I believe that Trevor Horn was such a perfectionist. And, and of course, I'm pretty sure I've heard um, Pet Shop Boys talking about this as well when he uh, produced some of their stuff. He's such a perfectionist. He takes so long to do it. But in this case, he was such a perfectionist that he recreated all the instruments himself. Not didn't recreate the instruments. He didn't turn himself into a... <laughs> blow his own trumpet, literally. Um, but uh... Strummed his own guitar. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think... As I said, listening to the song again this week is just reminding me that it is such a good song. Uh, and it's loved by other musicians as well because we mentioned Duran Duran licking shit off shoes earlier. Uh, but they did cover this song. They did a, a live mashup with Wild Boys a few years ago. And we have talked before, Will. Do you remember when we talked about the Blondie cover of this one? Yes, I remember. Uh, quite, Quite good. And obviously, Will, we are talking this month about iconic acts and, and artists and albums to do with the gay scene and LGBTQ plus history. And I think with this video and with this song and with this lyrical content, you, and in 1983, you know, that's why we're talking about this album now. You can't take away from what they did. They were controversial. They were doing it right in the public eye. They were proud of who they were. Um <laughs> Got something in your eye there, lovey. <laughs> Just wiping something out of the public eye. <laughs> Track four, Will? Track four now. This is War. Coupled with a man's pride. What is it good for? Love. Coupled with a man's pride.
So that was war. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> and of course, this is a cover of the track written by uh, Motown legends Norman Whitfield and Barrett Strong, who wrote such incredible songs as I Heard It Through the Grapevine and Ball of Confusion and Pop Up Was a Rolling Stone. Originally released by The Temptations, also recorded by Edwin Starr, uh, and also Bruce Springsteen, who we might be talking about a little bit later. But it's a very different version of the song, isn't it? Is it? <laughs> I, I don't know the original or the other one, so... It's just... I mean, I think the great thing about this anyway is that they elongate it. It's over six minutes long. And they just seem to make it their own, or certainly Trevor Horn, along with them, makes it their own. There's such a... It's more about the instrumentation of the song. It's more about the bass. There's a real kind of... There's a real feeling to the song. Did you just say they really made it their own? Oh, I'm turning into Louis Walsh, aren't I? You have to put a pound in the Louis Walsh box. <laughs> Pop a pound in Louis slot. Um, so this song, Will, was originally a B-side to Two Tribes... Uh, and there was a, a shorter version, which was called War, Hide Yourself. And then there was a longer version, which was on the 12-inch, which was War, Hidden. But this version is different to both. And the band have got kind of quite a bit of a history of um, reworking songs, remixing, re-editing their own songs, and also doing it with the B-sides as well. Uh, Dan, speaking of Hide Yourself, just to let you know, uh, your towel's fallen open. Oh, God. Sorry. <laughs> Ran straight from the bath to here. The mouse has come out of the house. Also, Will, there is, of course, the Ronald Reagan impression in there. It's not the real Ronald Reagan. Uh, that's by one of the Spitting Image guys, who also does a few more um, quips later on on the album or elsewhere on Frankie Goes to Hollywood releases. Track number five now, and I'm, I'm really ready for this one. Mm, another biggie. Two tribes. So that was Two Tribes, another another one where I think you've just got to listen to it with new ears. You've heard it so many times and, you know, any time on TV when there are two teams going against each other, you're likely to hear this song oh. playing. But <laughs> but what, what an absolutely fantastically produced and written and put together and performed song. And it will come as no surprise that this was uh, the second number one and the second single. And it stayed at number one for nine consecutive weeks, making it the longest number one of the 80s. I prefer this to relax. I don't think I could choose. I was thinking this earlier and I've just been thinking it while it was playing. I don't think I could choose. I'll tell you what we should do and we'll do this, listeners. We'll put a poll up on our socials uh, to get your views uh, on which you prefer. I just think I love the energy in it. Uh, I love the way it starts off and then the beat kicks in and then it gets faster and more intense. Uh, and that guitar as well. Sensational production. Trevor, we salute you. <laughs> <laughs> we do. And th it's just hearing this song that makes me think 
it's such a shame that the band broke up in I think it was eighty seven, and even though there's been they did the um, oh my god what was that program called it was like band reunion or bands reunited or something like that do you remember years ago I think it was on VH one or something. Um, but they, they did the five of them to get back together, but they didn't perform. And then the four without Holly went on to reform Frankie Goes to Hollywood with a new singer. Um, but how incredible would it be for Frankie Goes to Hollywood to get back together and actually just to perform this album in its entirety? I, I would pay a lot of money for that, Will. Uh, is it true that the new singer they got was Sean Williamson? <laughs> um you know what? I'll not spoil it for listeners who want to do their own uh, delving and digging. Mustang Sally! So like War before it, which was on the B-side of this song originally, this is, of course, an anti-war song. Uh, And there are two sounds working against each other on this one, as Holly Johnson explained in an interview. There's the American funk line, and then there's the Russian line, which is um, the most obvious demonstration of two tribes that they had at the time of recording. And the promotion for the track had the band in American and Soviet uniforms. uh, And the single sleeve was a picture of uh, Putin. Um, They really did go for it with this one, didn't they? And Dan, you mentioned about the Reagan impression from uh, an actor on Spitting Image. Well, that person was, in fact, Chris Barry, a.k.a. Gordon Brittus and Arnold Rimmer. Really? I didn't didn't realise it was him. And then, of course, latterly, he went on to be Angelina Jolie's butler... In the Tomb Raider films. Now, as you would expect from Frankie by now, there were several mixes and versions of this track released across various formats back in the day and since then with remixes and whatnot. Uh, But what, again, just what an anthem. And no wonder it was top of the charts for so long. Although it didn't sell quite as many copies, 1.5 million versus 2.1 million. Oh. Still, I think we can congratulate them, Will. No need to take the negative on that one. No, no, no. Didn't mean to. Uh, Huge global hit again. And so following on from this song, you've just got tag a little bit of an interlude. And again, one of the things that I love about this album, and particularly on vinyl, on side one, you just had uh, The World Is My Oyster and then the epic Welcome to the Pleasure Dome. And then side two, you had that run from Relax to War to Two Tribes to Tag. Uh, It just feels like a really well-sequenced collection. So now, Will, it's time for us to go to side three of the vinyl. Uh, And kicking this off, we have got, depending on what format you're looking at, I've seen a few different titles for this one. I've seen Fury, but I've also seen Ferry Go. So that is obviously a cover of the classic Ferry Cross the Mersey. Have to say, very atmospheric, very dramatic, but also quite faithful. Um, it's like you said, it's a classic song and originally recorded by and written by Jerry Marsden. 
uh, and performed by Jerry and the Pacemakers of I Like It and You'll Never Walk Alone fame, produced by George Martin, of course, most known for his work with the Beatles. So it feels like, with Frankie Goes to Hollywood also being from Liverpool, it feels like a real kind of tribute to Liverpool and to Scousers. And I don't know if that's offensive saying that. Uh, I think if you started to do a really bad impression... Calm down, uh, calm down. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> then you would run into trouble. Right, I won't do that then. Apart from any... I won't do that anymore. And in fact, I've got the Scouse Embassy on line one, Dan. They want to talk to you. Oh, can they wait to the next song? Uh, yeah. Uh, we'll move on to the next song, shall we? Because I don't think we've got too much more to say about that. No, I'll just throw in there that uh, the full version of this appeared on the B-side to the 12-inch of Relax, and it does appear on some Greatest Hits collections. Here we go then. This is something, isn't it? Track eight now. Born to Run. When you let me in, I want to be your friend. I want to guide your chains and visions. Just wrap your legs around these velvet hips and shut your hands, cut my engines. Together we could break the trap. We run till we drop, baby. We'll never go So Born to Run there, of course, written and originally performed and released by Bruce Springsteen. Now, Will, Bruce Springsteen, not someone that we've done on track by track before, but we have talked about covers of his songs twice before. Pop quiz. Can you name them? Oh, um, Pet Shop Boys. Yes. Uh, The Last to Die. And the other one, it was Dancing in the Dark by Hot Chip. Dancing on my own there, yes. Of <laughs> By Robin, yes. <laughs> uh, no, this is a cover. This song has been much covered. Uh, and did you know the likes of uh, McFly, Amy MacDonald and Melissa Etheridge, uh, to name but a few, have performed covers of this track? I can definitely see why they will, because, you know, I'm not a, re- I'm not a big Bruce Springsteen fan at all. In fact, the first year I went to Glastonbury, he was... Um, he was one of the headliners and I didn't go and see him. I didn't even go and see a snippet of his set. It didn't interest me at all. But this song is a fantastic song, isn't it? Dan, can you remember what you were doing instead of seeing Bruce Springsteen? God, that's a Or were you off your tits? Most likely, Will. Most likely. Uh, no, I really can't, I can't remember at all. I, I'm, I'm going to find out. I don't think anyone listening to this will give two hoots, but for my own sanity, I'm going to find out. But what I love about Frankie's version here is that combines you know the original song is clearly influenced by that wall of sound production um and then trevor horn clearly has taken influence from that on this version and holly sounds great on it as well so i love love that it's on here and one of the things that i love about the original song is the iconic guitar work and i'm very pleased that they have been in that sense faithful to that on this cover yeah, they definitely put their spin on it, haven't they? But it, it's definitely like, well, to, to to say what you just said a few seconds ago, it's very faithful to the original too. Track number nine now, and we're off to San Jose. Do you know the way to San Jose? I've been away so long. I may go wrong and lose my way. San Jose, I'm going back to find some peace of mind in San Jose. LA is a great big 
Dan. Yes, loving. Question for you. Shoot. Do you know the way to Amarillo? <laughs> A mashup. Peter K, that's someone else we haven't done on the podcast yet. <laughs> uh, no, do you know the way to San Jose? I don't, but the thing is, when this track was written, there were no um, sat-navs or anything, were there? Now you could just pop it in there and you'd, you'd, you'd know your way in a second. Now this is, talking about covered songs, this has been covered way more times than Born to Run as well, uh, by the likes of uh, The Temptations, the, uh, the Supremes, Neil Diamond, Nancy Sinatra, uh, Paper Dolls and The Carpenters, to name but a few. And all, all of those, of course, legends and icons in their own right as well, which I, I guess just shows the quality of the song. Yes, it does, Dan. And I think it's great as well that, you know, this is a very different sound for this album. And it's probably really unexpected that this would appear on this album. But if you think about it, this song, uh, of course, written by Burt Bacharach and Hal David, they were one of the biggest songwriting teams of the 60s. But as we know from the performance of Relax and Two Tribes, Frankie Gives Hollywood would become one of the biggest songwriting teams of the 80s with Trevor Horn, of course. So it only seems, it almost feels like, did they know that at the time? Or was it, did this song help make it so? Make it so. Um, <laughs> feels like it was on there for a reason. And of course, this is the fourth cover version we've had so far in this album. Four does seem like a lot, but it is a 16 track album. And when I was thinking about it, I thought, well, All Saints did have two cover versions on their debut, which was uh, 11 or 12 songs. So it almost balances out. Almost, yes. Almost. And then just in terms of the sequencing, I quite like that they put those three covers together. And again, all on the same. This would all be side three or C of the, of the, of the vinyl. Um, I think any more would be too much. Four is just enough. To play any more would be overkill. Mm. Track number 10 now. And Dan, this is something uh, you often say to me. Uh, Wish the lads were here. It's very true, Harley. So don't we all wish the lads were here right now having a few drinks? That is, as soon as I was listening to this song earlier, that's my first thought. We, outside of the podcast, we, you know, we, people might not believe it, but we are real life friends and we do love to get together with our other halves and have a few drinks. And I want that more than anything in the world right now. No, I want, you know, no more deaths and everyone to get over it and blah, blah, blah. But I want, I, I wish you and the rest of the lads were here right now, Will. The lads. I mean, it's quite a raucous group, actually. We're quite, uh, we do like to watch the football. Uh, we've got the cans of carling on the go. And then after a few cans, we like a good rough and, rough and tumble. We certainly do. Uh, and there's you, of course. There's me. There's Fingers Allen. There's uh, Dave the Bandit. All sorts of other nicknames as well. Oh, Big Allen. Yeah. Freddy the Fish. <laughs> Shagger Steve, who's always got a lady or two on the go. Shagger Steve's gay, Will. 
No, yeah, no. He's he's normally got two girls at least hanging off his arms, hanging off something, and a man hanging out his ass. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> so anyway, this track uh, is probably one of my favourite album non-album singles. And I I can't quite believe this. Well, this at number ten, at track ten. This is the first original album track proper that we've got to on the album which just seems insane at this point but what is it about this one that you love will uh just a just a great energy all the way running all the way through it and i have to say for an ele- electronic group who specialize in this high energy pop they've certainly got some good guitar work on the go all through this album definitely great guitar work and great bass as well i think you said this is uh how did you describe this song just then i can't remember <laughs> Great energy running all the way through it. Oh, yeah. And great bass work as well. You said before this song has got great energy. I think that is, for me, you can't ignore the bass on this. It's bouncing. Um, but I, I agree. I love this one. And I feel like it's it really has got the basis of those other original Frankie Goes Hollywood songs that we've heard, the big singles. But it's just kind of the theatrics are just toned down a little bit. Um, but I still do think this would go down a storm live. And, and I'm sure it did. Uh, if, if, if indeed it ever got played live. Track number 11 now. This is The Ballad of 32. So the ballad of 32 there, and it feels like at this point, nothing can shock you anymore with Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Anti-war song, tick. 60s ballad cover, tick. 40-minute epic opener, tick. And then this really quite chilled, almost um, just strange acoustic guitar-led instrumental number. It's uh, I was not expecting this one, Will. What about you? What a great time to talk about the album artwork. The fantastic album artwork. Yes. Uh, And it's uh, a cartoon of some shirtless men. Uh, They look like they're a disco because there's lots of colour in the background. And it looks like they're having a great time. All all mates together. Yes, five lads just at it on the dance floor together. Looks like, well, I wish I was there with those lads. Right in the middle, I expect. Yeah, on the floor. Great dancing. Uh, this would be a great piece of artwork. Dan, do you still have, because I know you've moved uh, residencies recently, do you still have those frames up for putting album arts in? I do, yes. And um, and yeah, I do have them. I, and I, And this is one that should be in there all the time, really, because it is a piece of art. Do you know who has got this on on the wall? all the time in their living room. Uh, yes, I'm going to know. Uh, is it Bright Light, Bright Light? No, I thought you were oh. going to get it then. It's the Slaters on EastEnders. Really? Yes. Big fans. And you can see why. It's a great illustration by Local. But uh, the track itself uh, is not for me. It's a little bit too slow on an album filled with high energy pop. 
Yeah, I can see. I mean, it does feel like, you know, it is the only elongated. Is it elongated or is it just standard length? Either way, it's it's it does stand out. And obviously, in this case, in your case, not in the right way. Um, but I quite I quite like it. I quite like it just showcasing that, you know, sometimes we talk about an album as a collection. And I think this album really does feel like a collection because of the sort of diverse things you've got in there. They're all come together quite nicely so should we flip it over to the final part of final piece of vinyl side four or side d this is crisco kisses Kisses, very almost feral, wild chanting, hunger, hunger in there. I think it's a great change of pace after the last track. Uh, and I think it's much more, for me, in keeping with their style and their almost, I, I don't know, euphoric, raw approach. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, it's definitely back to kind of the the elements that make the Frankie Goes to Hollywood big pop bangers. Uh, that you've got the horns in there, the bass is very much there, the, the vocal that you said is very call and response. But I was getting hints of a little bit poppier things with this one as well, like Haircut 100 or maybe even Wham. Wow, I don't... Well, maybe, Dan, but, you know, there's a, definitely a lyric in there that comes up around, uh, repeatedly around, you fit me like a glove. Hmm. I don't know what on earth is that in reference to. Oh, well, I'm not quite sure. I don't know if this next comment I'm about to make uh, would would go with that, go hand in hand, if you like, with that or not. But Crisco with a C, not with a K, like on the uh, on the title of this track, is an American plant based shortening product, um, and I think perhaps that was sometimes used for other things. Um, Lubrication, like what? perhaps. Oh, okay. So, uh... <laughs> well, there's uh, doesn't really leave much room for interpretation when you put it when you put it like that, does no. it? No. In fact, maybe maybe even more like a, a mitten than a glove. Stop! Stop talking. <laughs> Time to move on. Yes, track thirteen now, and this is Black Knight, White Light. So Black Knight, White Light there. This, of course, this track 13 now, we're getting towards the end of the album. But for me, at least, there's absolutely no cause for concern about this album petering out because I think this is a great album track. I think, again, you've got all the elements and some of the dramatics that make Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Uh, But in this one, you've got a little bit more sort of 
light and shade, you've got a really quite almost chilled, um, getting towards a sort of sense of minimalism on the verses there, and then it all comes back in for that great chorus. But Will, what do you think to this one? I like the fact in this track that uh, it's the vocals that do the heavy lifting with the energy and the emotion uh, and the production and the uh, and the music uh, is a little bit more pared down. Because I think when you really listen to the lyrics, there's still quite a rawness in there. Yeah, definitely. And I think, uh, yeah, it's um, the, the sound in general is so big, the lyrics potentially can get lost in the mix but the lyrics are fantastic because like they are controversial in many cases they're very open and very um uh not i don't want to say lewd but they're very um honest um and yes sometimes that can get lost in the mix of the music and dan i do apologize for catching your eye when i said rawness just then i know it was quite uncomfortable for both of us especially because the connection just cut out for a second so you were just staring at me for a good 30 seconds (laughs) quite a raw pause actually (laughs) the thing the thing i was thinking though well is that this is as i said this is track 13 of a 16 track album do you think this and some of the other original songs would have been better earlier on where we had that run of three covers or do you think that the album sequencing is actually perfect as it is? I think it's quite nice that it's bottom heavy. It feels appropriate uh, on this album um, because you lead with a couple of really strong tracks and you've got some covers. And then I think this album is just going to go out on quite a high. And actually, that's nice. That's lovely. Um, on the track, Holly Johnson said in 1985... Uh, that this song could have been amazing, but too much time was spent on the title track uh, so that some of the other tracks suffered. So it's interesting that, despite the fact that we've talked about how much we like it and what we like about it, in Holly's mind, you know, th- there was something lacking from this and maybe some of the other, other uh, originals that surround it. Track 14 now, the only star in heaven. That was the only star in heaven. Now, Will, Holly Johnson appeared last year on, well, just some nondescript Twitter album listening party thing or other. Uh, not a track-by-track tweet along. We, we, I'm sure he would have done if we asked. We just didn't get around to organising it. Um, but during that, he said of this song uh, that Grace Jones was a big fan of this one. And actually the intro, that particular that spoken word intro, does remind me of her style. I'll tell you uh, what this track reminds me of, Dan, and we've already mentioned them earlier on in the episode. Uh, Duran Duran. Oh, really? Mm. That's interesting. I'm going to listen to this uh, after recording with new ears and and listen to that. Because what what is it about it in particular? Uh, It's the guitar work. It's quite the sort of funky pop uh, sound to it. I think it definitely feels a little bit more bouncy than some of the other really hard tracks on this album that we've talked about as well. And it's interesting because this is one of their oldest tracks in their arsenal as well. So 
potentially this was more influence from Duran Duran and the like when they started out in the early 80s or when Frankie did, I should say. Um, and then, of course, they went on to find their own sound with things like Relax and Two Tribes. That, that, this is just a theory. It's not fact. No, uh, you know, not don't take everything we say on face value because a lot of it is pure conjecture. Yes, and uh, rubbish, actually. Mumbo Jumbo. Oh. Hogwash. Boulder Dash. <laughs> Poppycock. Etc. Track number 15 now. The Power of Love. A wonderful track to have so late in the album. I love that song, Dan. I'm so glad you do, Will, because that is one of my favourite songs of all time. I got goosebumps listening to that. And I'm because, of course, we know full well that, you know, ballads aren't always your thing. So I love the fact that you love this one. It's so powerful, so emotive and a complete about turn in the approach, considering relax um, and the other stuff. <laughs> the rest of it. <laughs> the rest of it. And as well, this this was the third single. So this followed Relax and Two Tribes. Uh, you know, and I just would love to have heard this for the first time after hearing those singles. I just can't imagine what people would have thought. But of course, people loved it. This was a hit. This was the third number one in a row uh, in early December 1984. And then it was only there for a week, this one, and come comparison to the nine from uh, two tribes because it was knocked off the top spot by band aid uh oh well that's fine if you're going to get knocked off by anyone get knocked off by bob geldoff and midge your um, <laughs> in the name of charity sandwich <laughs> charity sandwich <laughs> um with wham's last christmas going in at number two so just the charts during that week band aid at number one wham's last christmas at number two and then this i don't know if it was number three or number four or whatever, but they are three of my favourite songs ever. But also, I just feel festive just thinking about that. And it's February. Now, Is it February? No, I February. know we had this while the track was playing and I don't consider this a Christmas song, but you think otherwise. Not necessarily, but I will say Holly Johnson would be very pleased with you for saying that because he doesn't consider it. Um, a Christmas song and it's not it doesn't you know Christmas is not in the in the lyrics or the title anywhere but of course the video was the sort of nativity uh, I don't say parody nativity influence track but as we know from things like Abba's Chikatita if you do a Christmassy video on a song's released around wintertime people will think about it as a Christmas song I'm not saying that's right I'm not saying that's wrong also not helped by the fact that this was featured in the John Lewis Christmas campaign uh Recorded by Gabrielle Aplin. Which... 2012. One of my favourite John Lewis Christmas songs, because it because I love the song anyway and I like her version of it, but also one of my favourite adverts. It was the two snowmen, wasn't it? And the man goes to get the girl, the uh, scarf set. Oh, it brings tears to my eyes just thinking about it, Will. And fans of The X Factor might remember Dalton Harris. Uh, I, I remember him. <laughs> Do you? 
they were this song just continued to live on and on and has been re-recorded re-released and remixed uh a lot recently because it's such a great song uh and maybe more about that coming up with further listening and also talking about covers of this song holly johnson himself released a solo version in 1999 which is a really nice kind of a little bit more stripped um a different vocal style because of course it was 15 years after this was released um so do make sure you check out that version as well that was from his album soul stream the last track on the album you can hear playing as we're talking now which is bang uh which is the uh very short uh end to the album and it ends i love how it ends with frankie say no more because we have got some more haven't we will although first over to will for the uh, chart history and uh, whatnot. And <laughs> whatnot. Love that. <laughs> so this was very well received and reviewed when it was released. I would give it across uh, all of the usual outlets uh, four out of five stars. I would give it on average. It was extremely well reviewed and received upon release. Dan, a few people did question uh, in critiquing the number of cover versions as we have done, as all good music lovers would do mm. but i definitely didn't hold them back from enjoying great success great popularity and a great debut yeah and the thing one of the things i love about this of course it was a number one but it was guaranteed to be number one because the uh, pre-sales for it were so huge um with advanced sales of over one million copies which just you know mind-blowing isn't it but with all those mm. number ones coming before it you know, it was bound to be uh, much anticipated. So it's time for some further listening. And I think we have just gone for uh, remixes, B-sides from Frankie Goes to Hollywood for this one, haven't we, Dan? We have, and certainly uh, from this album as well. Of course, there is a, there's a follow-up album, Liverpool. Perhaps we'll come to talk about that another time on Track by Track. So, Dan, what have you gone for for further listening? So I have gone for, this is from Maximum Joy, which is a greatest hits album that came out in 2000 and was complemented uh, by some wonderful new remixes. So I have gone for the Apollo 440 remix of Two Tribes. Apollo 440 there. One of the reasons I chose this song, of course, mainly because I think it's a great remix of a great song. But another reason is because I think this is the first time we have uttered the words and number combination Apollo 440 on track by track so far. But I loved, back in the day, back in the late 90s, I loved uh, their hits, uh, Lost in Space and Rock Your Body Rock. Uh, Also, Krupa and um, Stop the Rock. Oh, isn't it rock? Wasn't that rock your body rock? Or have I have I got? I might have got it wrong because I don't. You've got your nick. You've got your knickers in a twist there. Who's rock quite your uncom- body rock? Quite uncomfortable. That cheese wire. <laughs> so clearly, I need to go and do some more research on Apollo four forty. But Will, what do you think to this remix? It's a solid remix, isn't it? I love it. it. Really juices up some of the guitars and gives it an extra bounce. 
Uh, also, back in the 2000s, Apollo 440 were a big deal in the dance remix and production world. I guess just having them then, in that case, um, having them remix the track really showed that the label putting out this new greatest hits and getting these really, really in-demand producers and remixes on it, they just knew the quality of these songs and the band's legacy. Of course, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, much like Stone Roses, only two albums, only one really considered uh, timeless. But... um, but yeah, they, they knew these were amazing songs. So I have gone for, uh, if anyone ever was out clubbing back in the year 2000, you'd be very familiar with the Rob Searle remix of Power of Love. So that was full-on trance dance remix. And I can remember dancing away in the pubs and clubs of the southwest of England to that, back way back when in the 2000s. That was huge again when, it, when that remix came out, wasn't it? It absolutely was. It was released as the lead single for the, the Maximum Joy uh, Greatest Hits album. And it got to number six in the UK charts, which I think is huge considering the fact that the band hadn't put out their own original single since 1987 um but also just the fact that you know th- i think this is the best remix of the album and of any frankie Goes to hollywood remix and i just would not have expected their biggest ballad to have become their biggest remix we're out of time uh on frankie goes to hollywood on track by track this week do let us know what you think of frankie goes to hollywood uh, and of the episode itself. And do let us know, of course, as we've said, this is all part of LGBTQ plus History Month. Do let us know if this album or if these songs did have an impact on your life. What is your relationship with Frankie Goes to Hollywood at Travel UK? And do take a moment to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you would love to share your positive feedback on what you're listening to on Track by Track in 2021. Dan, can you give us a hint of a tease as to what's coming up next? So next week, we are talking about the debut and only today album from a songwriter. A singer-songwriter, but a songwriter that we have talked about many times on the podcast. This is the first time we're talking about him as a solo artist. Ed Sheeran. (laughs) (laughs) Never. To say anything more would be to give it away. So... Until next time, I've been Trevor Horn. And I've been Bert Bacharach. Goodbye. Goodbye. I bet she's had a lot of men doing that over the years. <laughs> no, don't keep that in. That's absolutely no. disgusting. Vulgar. Older lady. Yeah. yeah.